What is up, Crush Crew? I'm Bernadette Joy, your favorite rich auntie and your host of the Crush Your Money Goals podcast. Since starting in 2018, I've paid off $300,000 of debt, built my first million dollars of net worth, and grew from this podcast to a full financial education company that just crossed its first half million dollars in revenue. And along the way, I've met some incredible thought leaders and experts in the fields of personal finance, career, and entrepreneurship. And you will have the joy of meeting one of my favorite people as this season's co-host. Hola, hola. I'm Stephanie Gonzalez, the founder of the Women's Wealth Effect, where I focus my time as an investing and career coach to help women like you reach financial independence with confidence. I'm also a debt-free millionaire after paying off over $420,000 in debt and now live in Portugal with my amazing husband and two children after 15 years climbing the corporate ladder in the global tech industry. Thanks to the investing and career knowledge, I am so passionate about sharing with you. Welcome to season six of Crush Your Money Goals, The Women's Wealth Effect. Hola, hola, amigas, and welcome to today's powerful episode. If you've been following me on Instagram at Women's Wealth Effect or on LinkedIn under my personal name, Stephanie Gonzalez, you've seen that since July 2023, I've hosted a monthly career effect series. I created this series because a few observations were coming up for me when I was witnessing women not feeling comfortable talking about career and money. And I did some of my own research a couple of weeks ago, and I pulled the Women's Wealth Effect community and asked you to answer Yes or no to the following question. Do you feel comfortable talking about career or money with your coworkers? 75% of you said no. That means three out of four of you do not feel comfortable talking about these very crucial topics about at work. And some of you aren't talking about them with your extended family or friends. So I wanted to do something about that. And I created this monthly series where I bring women from my extended network to share with you They're real and authentic personal and professional stories, allowing us to make space at least once a month, right? So a habit of building community, sharing with each other what's possible when it comes to building a career, sharing with each other what's possible when it comes to navigating money, and allowing those of us who attend the sessions to ask questions and share what's coming up for them real time. With that said, I wanted to share one of my favorite sessions with you. This one was actually recorded live in my living room in Lisbon with my dear friend, Santana, the founder of Flow Foundations, where she helps coach people along their paths to greater alignment and freedom from the beliefs that limit them. Yeah, limiting beliefs, y'all. They're real. I share more about how we met when we get into the recording, but ladies, this woman, wow, her story, her conviction, her realness, she has me inspired. And I hope you enjoy this Career Effect live series as much as I did. And if you're interested in joining us to attend one of the next sessions or become a speaker, just reach out to me via DM or send me an email. I'll put my contact information in the show notes. So let's go ahead and get into it. Santana and I met in a really interesting way. And if you are part of the Women's Wealth Vet community, you um, had an opportunity to see this story a couple of weeks ago, but... Web Summit is coming up in uh, Lisbon in a couple of months, and Santana happened to be at Web Summit last year. I was there tagging, tagging along with one of my good friends who was a speaker, and Santana came up to me and she was like, you're the Women's Wealth Effect. And she was the first person out in the wild, is what I like to call it, <laughs> that recognized me as the founder of this body of work that I've been working on over the last couple of years. And it kind of took me back because it was number one, obviously my first encounter with someone who was part of the community. But number two, I had met a woman across the globe who was a part of this community. So it solidified in my mind that this work isn't just about, you know, me being American and being in the US and, and teaching women in the United States to invest for financial independence, but also to teach women who have deployed themselves all across the globe to continue thinking about, you know, reaching financial independence. So I'm not going to uh, introduce Santana to you. I'm going to give her the opportunity to introduce herself because she's going to do it way more justice than I am. But I'm going to give her about 25 minutes, 30 minutes to chat and tell us about her professional and her personal story, what has led her here to this point. And we will take your questions. And so just a couple of ground rules. This is a totally free space. I really want you to feel supported in what you're thinking what's coming up for you, 
what your experience is. And if you choose to share your experience or your thoughts or your questions, feel free to do so. For many of us, we may be talking about something and we want to capture it in the chat. So if there's something top of mind for you, please drop it into the chat. Um, say hi. Tell us actually where, where you are located. I'd love to see where you all are located. But also, if you feel like coming off of mute at some point in the discussion and asking your question live, all good with that as well. So we're not stuck to a very specific structure. We want to make this as comfortable of a conversation as possible. So Santana, I'll let you take it away. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. I am filled with gratitude to be meeting some of your community, to have an opportunity to chat um, with folks from my community as well. And um, in the last few weeks, I've been really in a space of reflection over kind of the arc of my career. I'm transitioning from one career into another career. Uh, so this opportunity to reflect could not have come at a better time for me. <laughs> Um, so thank you. Thank everyone that's here. I'm so excited to share this space with you. Um, and yeah, thank you for your interest in me and my career. Um, I'll just get started, uh, not with a traditional bio or introduction, but just sort of where my story begins. You shared a little bit about where your story began and some of the lessons or learnings around a career and money that you received. My journey started really differently. Um, mm -hmm. On my mom's side, I'm a daughter of the revolution. And on my father's side, I'm a first generation American. My father immigrated from Panama to the United States um, just a few years before I was born. And so growing up, sort of a tale of two cultures, um, a tale of multiple ethnicities, all of these different intersections around and, and, and facing some really incredible poverty as well um, in my childhood. The lessons about what women could do or should do in my mm -hmm. household were very, very different. Mm -hmm. In my household, there were the sky was the limit for my brother. But for me, uh, it was just okay to finish high school without getting pregnant. Yeah, college could be okay, but like just getting a job is also yeah. fine until you get married. Mm -hmm. And so these were some of the earliest lessons that I saw around uh, money and career. Um, Every woman makes her choice, and I'm a firm believer in that. For my mom, career was not a part of her story. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I didn't see career or financial decisions or financial planning or career planning as a part of my upbringing for you know, any of the years yeah. <laughs> of my upbringing. Yeah. And so, you know, for me in high school, D's really made those degrees. I'm yeah. going to be really honest with you. It was just about sort of getting in and getting out. And um, I actually didn't go to college right after yeah. high school. I, I hit the workforce. I kind of bounced around to different jobs. And eventually I became an insurance agent, which is a lot more fun than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Um, especially if you are a little bit of a nerd. And so uh, there was a little bit of this first chapter of my story about these sort of embodied messages around what was possible that I inherited sure. from my parents, from my family during my upbringing that were really limiting in terms of where I could go or what I could achieve. And so here I'm sat, insurance agent, doing my thing. <laughs> And along comes a guy, let's call him Chad. And Chad was making $10,000 more a year than me. And I thought, why? He's not putting up the numbers I'm putting up. He's, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's just Ken. <laughs> or Chad. Or Chad. Or Chad. Just Chad. Ken or Chad. Um, and, you know, so I, I, of course, inquired to my manager. Yeah, what's up with this? This seems really unfair. Oh, it's because he has a degree. Ah, uh, yeah. I said, oh, okay. Well, if that guy can get a degree, <laughs> I can probably get a degree too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that time, I think, you know, even educational um, aspirations were just not a part of my upbringing. Sure. And so I thought, okay, I go to community college. Mm -hmm. I'll go to community college. I'll really dial this in. Eventually, I'll roll out with a degree, maybe an underwater basket weaving, <laughs> and I'll just get that 10K bump. And then, you know, I'll be living my best life. 
Um, that is not actually how it ended up happening. I rolled into community college. I wanted to meet my requirements. I found the course that sounded the least sciencey mm-hmm. because I hated science. Mm-hmm. And that course was uh, physical anthropology, which does not have science in the name. Spoiler alert, it's it science. But, you know, I just I think because my mindset was going into it of like, this isn't science, it's not going to be that hard. I'll just give it a shot. And I absolutely fell in love. Really? It was like a fire was just like exploded in my chest. I remember like being in I can feel and see this classroom as I'm thinking about this now. There was a little excerpt, you know, like concept in action, you know, Mm -hmm. in the textbook. And it was about a guy who started the study of human brain evolution Mm -hmm. by taking fossils and pouring some goo inside and then pulling the goo out Mm -hmm. to see, like, how did our brains evolve over time? Mm -hmm. I thought, my brain exploded. Mm -hmm. And I said, wherever this man is, I shall find him Mm -hmm. and I shall study with him. (laughs) Okay. This was was the first time I had any kind of educational aspiration. And that man happened to be at At Columbia. Columbia. I was going to say, where was this man? That man happened to be at Columbia University. And so if you had asked me even a year before, do you think you will ever, as a first generation American, no one in your family's graduated with a four-year degree, do you think you're going to go to Columbia University? I would have probably laughed in your face. Um, But I had a goal. I said, okay, well, let's keep it pushing. I already know chads can get degrees. (laughs) You know, I'll just study really hard and I'll see if I can transfer and I'll see if they'll you know, take me up to the big leagues. And I did that. I must have wrote a kick-ass essay because they admitted me. That's amazing. And um, Ralph is still a dear friend, a mentor. I did study under him. I did complete my education in human evolutionary biology. And that was like this first pivot in my life. Columbia taught me how to think, Mm -hmm. um, but it also taught me that I could do really difficult things. And at that time, I wouldn't have named it this way. But I was learning the lesson of like what is possible for you when you are living in alignment. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why I needed to study with Ralph. I didn't know why this topic lit me on fire, but it did. Mm-hmm. And I really just followed that intuition and I did whatever I needed to do to get there. Um, so that's sort of this like first yeah. chapter of the story. Um, still was making terrible, <laughs> terrible moves with money and still had incredibly limiting beliefs around money, still didn't really have career aspirations, but I rolled out of undergrad into a post-recession New mm-hmm. York City. Mm-hmm. I had my very expensive piece of paper and I couldn't get anyone to, you know, pay me enough get to... Get excited like you were, that you had the piece of paper. Exactly, especially in F-Bio. Um, but I, I couldn't get anyone to pay me enough to even live in the city that I had just spent all this time in. And so I thought, okay, I think this is another like hold my beer moment. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to figure out how to make more than 40,000 a year. And that was the highest offer that I got. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I, I know I want to make at least more than 40,000 a year. So that was my only Mm -hmm. goal. So I started, consulting, mm-hmm. sort of working for myself. I, I, I mean, I really did everything. Mm-hmm. I would do anything that was a strength. So yeah. I started um, essentially coaching college kids all around Manhattan on how to do well in undergrad. Yeah. <laughs> Which is super wild to think of me in high school and then me in undergrad, <laughs> just like, you know, this span <laughs> of like, you know, four to eight years later. Yeah. Um, mentoring and tutoring and coaching undergraduates from other universities, um, how to succeed, how to write compelling essays, how to, um, you know, get ahead and achieve what they needed to achieve. Um, I did SAT prep. I did Mm -hmm. like all sorts of things. And eventually that led me into this bubbling, emerging thing, which was like social media advertising, content marketing was this also... this was in like 2010, 11, 12, right? Yes, yes. So this content is when I met my marketing. husband and he was very into that at that oh time too. Oh my God. Yeah. This was the advent of personalization. Wow, wow, yes, wow. Yes. Oh my gosh, you can send an email with the person. you guys remember name? getting the face, like join Facebook for the first time email? I remember that coming out of college, like oh join Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So around that time, Facebook launched their ad unit and mm-hmm. they, you know, you had Twitter follow suit not long later. And so this this wide new world of 
of content marketing and blogging and personalization and email, no one really knew how to do that. And I thought, okay, well, I yeah. this looks incredibly figure outable. And that's how I accidentally stumbled into a decade long career in marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, yeah. looking back at what little I knew about your story, because we really kind of started off at your personal finance story when we met at Web Summit. But after getting to know you more over the last few months and hearing about how different your lens was or the lens that was given to you growing up as a girl yeah, versus like just my, the lens that was given to me so different, yeah. right? So, you know, it just, it gave me a lot of like, wow, the power that you were able to take back and just really being able to see what was on the other side, give yourself a chance and see what was on the other side. Right? Yeah, I think that's such an important <clears throat> reflection because uh, one of my favorite quotes ever in the world is, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm -hmm. And so I think growing up in systems of of poverty, of um, just just general adversity, lots of different types of adversity, um, you can sort of have a tunnel vision or mentality because you're a child and mm -hmm. you're not able to go out mm -hmm. into the world and see other examples and kind of pick and choose. And so yeah. it was really just about being open and curious yeah. when I would see examples of other people that came from different backgrounds that had some different beliefs and not always holding so tightly to my own mm -hmm. beliefs because, well, hey, they look like they're doing all right. Mm -hmm. And they don't have that thing that I have. So like, maybe I can exchange <laughs> my thing for their thing or I can learn a new thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a super poignant observation and was absolutely a, a significant part of my story. Finding a way to become self-sufficient professionally. I was actually able to work for myself as like a freelancer turned small mm -hmm. business owner for six years, mm -hmm. which was amazing. I traveled the world. I moved to Europe the first time. I had clients all over the world. I was marketing internationally. And I came back to the United States in 2015. And one of my... Um, agency clients that would sort of outsource some of their marketing work because I was working purely in digital and a lot of marketing agencies didn't have digital yeah. units yet at that yeah. time. Not um, in-house. Not in-house. Yeah. yeah. So they came to me and they were like, hey, we really want to build out an in-house practice around digital marketing. And so that's how I ended up working for another person yeah. in like this career of okay. marketing. And I rolled right in with a director title and like the money to come with it. And then I was like, oh, but as an entrepreneur, you're like on your hustle all the time, but it's feast and famine. <laughs> like, yeah. Sometimes you have, sometimes you don't have. And so this was like a lot of money. Yeah. And it was a lot of money that was like constantly mm -hmm. coming in. Like mm -hmm. every two weeks, this money was coming in. And so this was like new money for me, but still a lot of like old money mentality. Sure. But that part of my story didn't change for like another five years. But this is really where the career sort of mentality began. Yeah. And this was the beginning of career aspirations because now I was in an environment where I was around people mm -hmm. um, that had always had career aspirations mm -hmm. and always wanted to kind of climb the corporate ladder. And so um, I used, again, what, what am I good at? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm good at systems thinking. I'm good at finding where the puzzle pieces are and putting them together. And so that component really allowed me to sort of advance and make mm -hmm. some moves. Um, I became, you know, really motivated by like, can I, can I earn more? Mm -hmm. Can I have another title? Can I have more responsibility? Can I learn how to manage others? Can I start pitching work? Can I go out to, you know, win big clients and mm -hmm. these types of things? And the answer to all of those questions was yes. And all of those things became a part of my story. But another part of my story working in corporate was that for me personally, it was always a bit like a square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a person that's deeply in tune, like with myself. Yeah. And in any area of my life that I'm not in tune or something's not going well, I'm like, ooh, let's dive in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm very like diving in. 
um, leaning into my myself and learning about myself and developing myself. And so when you know who you are yeah. and someone tries to tell you who they think you are, mm-hmm. this is like oil and vinegar. Mm-hmm. And so I think being a person that is authentic yeah. in a corporate uh, environment, it can be very challenging. <laughs> There are people that will adore you or want to leverage your authenticity. Um, As a multi-ethnic, very brown presenting person, that authenticity and my otherness was often tokenized. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Let's put the brown girl out on the pitch so we can, you know, show the client this is a diversity win Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then be snatched off the client work as soon as the work is won. So these types of things were always a part of my story. And so you would see, I would see folks really try to um, lay their story on top of me of what they thought that a brown woman, a young woman. A young woman, yeah. Um, you know, I use they, uh, she, they pronouns. I am, I would consider myself gender non-conforming. And so there's also this element, like sometimes she presents this way and sometimes she presents that way. And just the sheer audacity of living your best fucking life Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. is so offensive to people, Mm -hmm. especially in a corporate environment. And so for many years, I was able to get into the six figure range. I was able to earn what I wanted to earn. I was able to grow in responsibility. I was able to climb what I laid out as a ladder, but the, the force, Mm -hmm. the inertia moving against authenticity, awakeness, aliveness, wholeheartedness in leadership. Yeah. Um, that inertia was really strong for me. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the sort of highlights across my career were, were moments where, yes, I was successful on paper. Sure. But I didn't feel successful. Mm -hmm. I felt stressed. Mm -hmm. I felt anxious. (laughs) I felt like my hair turning gray. I felt my sleep deeply affected. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was a part of the evolution of that career journey. So yeah, is it possible for a kid from the inner city that grew up in incredible poverty and adversity to climb the corporate ladder? Yeah, hell yeah, we can do whatever we want. Sure. And are you going to come up against the limiting beliefs that other people place on top of you? As a woman, as a young person, as a brown person, yeah, absolutely, you're going to come up against that. Yeah. And so part of my story of leadership was always trying to call that spade to my direct reports that were in any way marginalized. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to be the first leader that you come across that's just going to tell you that this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I saw what they did. Yes, I saw that microaggressive comment. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can go to HR. No, nothing will happen. Yeah. So how do you protect you? And how do you achieve your goals and put your blinders on and run your race, knowing that this is the world that we live in? Mm-hmm. Um, also, not super well received like, in corporate how, America. How do, you, how do you play the game the way that you know you need to play it while protecting yourself at the same time? Right? Absolutely. <clears throat> And it sort of creates this weird, like, alt universe where folks that know, know, you know, if you know, you know. Yes, yes. And so we could have conversations and create community and create spaces where we could just call that spade and say, oh, yeah, I know what's happening here. Like, that really that really sucks. Like, and just validate the the lived experience of, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the challenges that we can face as being marginal in, in spaces that were not built for us and to redefine what success looks like for us in spaces that weren't built for us. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was a really big component of my career over the last years and my life in general. And that led me to Lisbon but I want to pause and like take a couple steps back to like, where did the financial arc of my story <laughs> sort yes. of veer off? And it was somewhere in the middle of climbing the ladder. It was the first time I broke into the six figure club. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
holy heck, I am earning a lot of money and I have no money in my bank account at the end of this two-week cycle. Where is it all going? What is happening? The question that I always asked myself was like, I know I used to live off of less. How in the world am I like getting at zero and zero right at the end now? Um, And it's not that, you know, when you make more money, you shouldn't be able to spend some of that money. But if you don't have a real honest conversation with yourself about it, it can go away really quickly. A lot of times people say, mo money, mo problems. But without awareness, it's mo money, same problems. Same problems, yes, correct. (laughs) Same problems. (laughs) And so um, it was another signpost person. I call people signpost people when they come into your life and it's wayfinding. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And for some reason, they set you on a new path or they teach you some lesson and they don't always stay in your life, but they've directed you. They've been wayfinding. And so there was a signpost person, a boyfriend that I had, lovely guy, not the one. Um, But he came from a family (laughs) of financial planners Mm -hmm. and he thought I was just the weirdest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this man had a plan. He had sinking funds. He had savings. (laughs) He had a budget. He had all the things. And I'm like, please, sir, what does it mean? (laughs) You know, he came from a family of financial planners. And so he was like, please talk to my aunt. Yeah. Like, please go see my aunt. Have a conversation with you. His aunt's a woman called Beth Remick. Mm-hmm. She runs um, a women's investing firm called Ithaca Financial. It's out of the DMV area in the United States. Shout out to Beth. She changed my life. That's awesome. She absolutely changed my life. But part of the reason that that moment was so pivotal is because there are so many core memories, wounds, limiting beliefs that are tied to how we deal with money. Mm -hmm. And when we're not having conversations about money, we're also not having conversations about how we feel Mm -hmm. about money Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and our mindset around money. Mm -hmm. If you're afraid of your money, if you are afraid of being in poverty, if you are afraid of losing everything, Mm-hmm. If you're afraid of being successful, if you're yeah. afraid of being wealthy, if asking for money, you've learned the message that that's shameful or selfish, yeah. all of these things come up in the space. And that's exactly where Beth started. Yeah, She was like, tell me your story about money. Mm-hmm. What are the first memories that you had about money? What are the first things you saw your parents do? Yeah. And whew, nobody asked me a question like that before. Yeah. And so it was really an opportunity to like let some of that stuff come up to the surface. Because when you grow up in poverty uh, and there's such incredible financial instability. Sure. I mean, I grew up in a situation where my parents paid bills and like a, like a Russian roulette kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, which one do we need to pay this month to avoid it getting cut yeah. off? Yeah. They were never caught up. Um Food was incredibly unstable and scarce. School clothes, new school clothes, mm-hmm. all the kids had them. We didn't. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I noticed that spending meant that I was okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that was modeled for me. Yeah. Every single piece of money that came into my parents' hands when I was a child, bless them, yeah, yeah. doing the best they could. Yeah. But every piece of money that blew their way gone immediately Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you you do not know when it'll come back sure it's a scarcity mindset sure and we have to maximize now and get everything that we possibly can now because it might not come back and so even though i had made it to this level of my career my education all intents and purposes written down on paper very successful person before 30 sure i was still living in a mindset yeah in an emotional place like I could become deeply impoverished at any second, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, at any second. Mm-hmm. And so that's how Beth changed my life. She was like, let's examine the wounds mm-hmm. and let's see what we can do. And so we made a financial plan mm-hmm. and the financial plan started from the premise that if you don't feel completely comfortable with this, you're not going to do it. Sure. So like, let's identify What's absolutely Mm non-negotiable for me growing up in poverty also meant that I grew up in a place that was very dangerous. Mm -hmm. This was like gunshots instead of fireworks on the 4th of July kind of a place. And so 
even to this day, I'm willing to drop coin on where I live mm-hmm. because the idea of feeling unsafe walking home is unacceptable to yeah. me. And so we built into the plan that I would need to spend more than that characteristic 25, 30% on my my rent Mm -hmm. and so i was i was top loaded on rent i was paying 35 percent of my Mm -hmm. income on rent Mm -hmm. and where are we going to make that up and so we built a plan that worked for me because it took into account everything that made me a person yeah which was such a beautiful approach and i did not know was possible Mm -hmm. and so within about two years i had no credit card debt i paid off like four student loans Um, I had an emergency fund for the first time. I had sinking funds for the first time. (laughs) And I just noticed this incredible weight, like lift off the stress of how am I going to make decisions financially? I just stopped being afraid of money. Yeah. Yeah. And when I stopped being afraid of money, that meant that I stopped being afraid to lose it, which meant I was no longer afraid to go after it. Sure. Absolutely. And that just sort of like broke apart everything that I had thought was possible for me in terms of like what I could earn. Sure, sure. And then you at some point decide to move to Portugal. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like this like fourth arc for me. Like all along this experience, it's like um, it's a slow, it's, it's a decade long concentrated journey around personal development, but really it's a lifelong journey of recovering from and working through things that happened to us in childhood, which I think everybody on this call has probably got at least one or two skeletons kicking around in the closet, um, of things that come from these really early years in our life. And so, and add a partner into that, you've got the other skeletons that they bring to the equation, right? In the discussion. 100%. So. And if you have aging parents or, <clears throat> you know, you're living in a multi-generational family, you have all of that admixture as well. And so it's a lifelong journey to the self. But for me, the most concentrated period that that started in was when I was about 28, mm-hmm. hit that Saturn return hard and was like, who am I? Why is life hard? What am I doing here? It hurts. <laughs> Big compassion for my 28-year-old self. And um, yeah, so moving to Portugal was like a logical conclusion of that process, which is always evolving and unfolding. But I started to realize that there were places that felt more like me in Mm -hmm. the world. And at that point, I was still a little bit climbing the ladder and like I got my first VP title and like got some money, honey, and was living in Washington, D.C. and just burning out. Yeah. Just burning out. Burning out on the always available 24-7. Yeah. Answer my email even if it's at 11 p.m. on a Friday. Yeah. Kind of mentality. (laughs) Um, and then in, in, in corporate America in the last five or six years or so, there's been this like weird co-opting of like therapy language, like bring your whole self to work yeah, and psychological safety, but it's a co-opting because those things aren't actually present. And so as we say they're there, doesn't mean that they are there. Exactly. So I'm like, Ooh, you want me to bring my whole self? Here it is. Hello. (laughs) Like, oh, by the way, we're hiring this slightly different person, but she's still the same person. (laughs) And, you know, I was just, instead of running up against the wall of corporate, just not working for like my nervous system. Sure. Like not sleeping, always on, pins and needles. If there's a single typo in an email that goes out, a head is going to roll. Like, this is just not where I thrive. Yeah. And then we get the corporate language of like psychological safety and like, let's be a culture of feedback and like all of this stuff, which are beautiful ideals. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And when they are bastardized, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. they do incredible harm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. incredible, in some cases, irrevocable harm mm-hmm. um, because we are humans. Yeah. And when we show up to work and we have these systems in place where 
um, you know, we're being lured out to bring our whole selves. Yeah. And then there are some consequences to that. Sure. Um, yeah, that causes harm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting in D.C. I've been on a spiritual personal development journey for at that point about five years. Mm-hmm. And had already discovered what felt like the truest essence of purpose for me and was really struggling to figure out what that meant. Sure. Um, And that purpose is the reduction of suffering. I believe that when I reduce my own suffering, Mm -hmm. I show up in the world in a way that reduces the suffering of others. I believe that when I act in a mindful way, that avoids causing direct suffering to other people, I am participating in the healing of the world. And so, whew, this is heavy. (laughs) This is heavy. This is powerful. And so it's this rededication of myself to like, okay, I'm on the right path. I should heal myself. I should heal all the generations (laughs) that came before me that weren't able to live in this place at this time. And... Ooh, beautiful path, scary path. Yeah. Uh, and sitting in Washington, D.C., in that culture, in a pandemic, yeah. living alone in my studio apartment, I thought, huh, well, I already know there's a place where I just feel more well. Yeah. I could just go there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, yeah. And so I applied for a visa to Portugal, and they gave it to me. <laughs> wow. So this was, the, was this the D7 at the time? The D7. Okay. Yeah, and that wasn't an easy process. Mm-mm. It wasn't a not easy process, but it was a long process and it sure. was an involved process and yeah. it was kind of a difficult process. And so I got my application in and at that time it had been like they were waiting like two weeks or so. Between two weeks and four weeks, people were getting responses. My application took over 90 days. Wow. Yeah. And so I was just thinking, oh, okay, universe says this yeah. isn't the thing yeah. for me. And December 31st. Oh, wow. 2020. Wow. I get an email from the embassy. Your visa's ready. You can come pick up your passport (laughs) or drop off your passport or whatever. And I thought, I need a sign from the universe. Yeah. I don't know if this is the right move anymore. Mm -hmm. It's taken so long. And six days later, the U.S. Capitol was stormed. Oh, my gosh. All the buildings around my apartment. There were tanks in the street. The building, the windows were boarded up against looters. There were folks running around in camo everywhere. And I was like, that's a pretty. I'll get you my passport tomorrow. That's a pretty clear sign. I took my passport to the embassy like the next week, gave notice, packed all my stuff, and I left D.C. on January 17th. I was out. Wow. I was out. And there's just, you know, there's no looking back. And people say, oh, it's kind of crazy to move to a place. You don't know anybody. You don't speak the language. It's a pandemic. Like, are you out of your mind? But I think as I was moving closer to what was true to me, Mm -hmm. these things that seem really crazy to other people... They just feel so radically in alignment. You're like, oh, the sky is blue. I'm moving to Portugal. Sure. Like, that's how it feels. No, I'm totally agree. Yeah. And so, you know, moving to Portugal, like, really opened up so much space. Mm-hmm. There's there's a sense of spaciousness that I hear a lot of folks, expats in Port- Portugal, especially expats from the United States, talking about yeah. because... Living in the United States, there's like a lot of like mental bandwidth that's constantly being used to survive. Like, if I get hurt, should I call an ambulance? Oh, no, it might be five grand. Like, (laughs) oh, my God, if I go to the hospital, am I bankrupt? Don't call the ambulance. Call an Uber. Yeah, call an Uber. Sir, you're bleeding. Yeah, yeah. Call an Uber, right? So, you know, not having those like basic survival level and just even as a person of color, like, walking through the street and like feeling completely safe yeah um as a woman like you might get a couple stares but like this is not a cat calling culture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like i've lived in new york city i've lived in dc like it yeah. can feel really oppressive to just walk around in space as a woman wearing whatever you want in sure. some places in the united states so coming here and all of that just not being here yeah you're sort of like a deep exhalation mm-hmm. and then what do I do with this space? Yes. Yeah. 
what do I do with the space? And so a lot I found, even though I was almost a decade into a personal development journey, there was still just so much that wanted to arise in the space because there was now space to do it. And so a lot of what that was, was like, hey, girl, this career that you're in, this isn't hitting like it used served, to. Served its served its time. This isn't its hitting purpose. like it's yeah. used to. Like when all this stuff with Twitter started going on, and you know, Facebook became Meta, and like all this, like that used to get me so geeked. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, there's a new platform. Ooh, there's a new service. Ooh, there's a new SaaS provider. Like, yes, I'm going to learn everything. I'm going to become an expert. <laughs> and it was just like a huge, like, oh god. I have to learn this. <laughs> and I yeah. sort of go, whoa, yeah. what's that? What's in the space with me now? And it was sort of like, I mean, thank God this, and oh, I can't say that. For me personally, I am very grateful that whatever the heck is going on in tech in the U.S. right now went on. Because for me, it was another one of those moments where I was like, Sorry. universe, uh-huh. this feels really wrong. Yeah, I think I know what I want to do. That would feel really right, but that feels radical yeah, and incredibly scary, incredibly risky, very dangerous. And moving in that direction, ooh, is that the right way to move? Sure. Universe, I need a sign. And then I lost my yeah, tech I was, job. I was going to say, and then there was a sign. Yeah. And then I lost yeah. my tech job. And so that's a pretty big sign. Sure. And I mean, gratitude to tech. I bought a house when I moved here. I never thought I would be able to do that. <laughs> Finances on lock. Yeah. Like everything was going really well in my life, growing spiritually, growing personally, building friendships, you know, falling in and out of love. Like Portugal has been like a really supportive place for me. But the idea of moving in the direction that I was kind of feeling like I needed to move in next was very incredibly scary. And so tech was like, bye. And I was like, oh, shit. It's it's interesting. Like now that you're saying this, you know, um, when you move to another country and you move, and this is my drawn experience off this now and relating to yours I moved to Singapore, still tied to the U.S. and still tied to this identity that I had in tech. Yeah. Because I was still working for the company. Yeah. And, you know, you moved to Portugal. There's all these changes. We still had this one thing that was held constant, right? And in a way, there's certain security elements in it, right? The pay. 100%. Everything you've worked for. You know, like everyone told me I couldn't and I did. Like all these things. And when you decide to cut ties with that or they cut ties with you a lot happens a A whole lot happens a lot and when you're talking about like you move to portugal and like you have this space to just like discover these things etc like sometimes people ask me like how i fill my time and yes i fill my time with my kids and my personal life and women's wealth effect and everything but i also fill my time with a lot of just like thinking about how different I want to spend my time in yeah. general. 100%. And not feel like it has to be something on the calendar. Yeah. And something that is super structured. Like, I find a lot of joy in the being able to enjoy. Yeah. Right? Like, I showed you the video today. My husband took the kids to school, went and worked out, and then decided to do a cold plunge in the ocean, right? Because and it's cold here, y'all. Because the ocean's <laughs> cold here, right? But... I mean, if he had like a super packed schedule, he wouldn't have been able to do that today. And so like financial independence to an extent, right, gave us a lot of that latitude to be able to do those things and heal. And, you know, it's it's something that you really kind of can't put your finger on, but that's the underlying foundation sometimes in all of it. I don't know if you had this experience as well, but it sort of felt a little bit like unplugging from the matrix. Because even just the culture of Portugal is antithetical to American corporate culture. (laughs) People in Portugal, ooh, they are on Portuguese time in the most extreme way. It's like people here do not work to live. 
Yeah. No, they work to live. They don't live to work. Yeah. And so the idea, I can't even imagine like a Portuguese company answering an email after 4 p.m. No. Or on a weekend. Like I can literally not fathom yeah. a bank holiday, yeah. a religious holiday. No, bye. Yeah. The month of August is shot. There <laughs> shall be no work done. That's not she essential. Did, she didn't get her AC in her place for the month of August, by the way, when she really needed it because nobody was putting AC in her place. That's I mean, a big deal. Nobody was working. <laughs> and, and so even that mentality shift, you know, a lot of Americans, when they come here, they are grinding against yeah. that. And it is still something that I am working yeah. to ease myself around because mm-hmm. like the idea of being on time and being on time, showing respect, mm-hmm. we're so you're either early up. or you're not on time is what my grandpa told me. Right. When I was taking my first job. And there's so much tied up in the American concept of time and you come here and it's not the same and you can, whoo, you can bang your head up against that wall or you can ease into grace and figure out like what from my upbringing, my culture, my values, what's negotiable here? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What serves me best in this space, in this place? And what can I learn? Mm -hmm. Um, This is cultural diffusion. Like, can this culture come into me and like what what ways can I navigate these differences so to me it sort of felt like disconnecting from something or breaking the fourth wall rather it's like Mm -hmm. oh this thing that we've been told is the only way to go yeah is not the only way to go (laughs) yeah definitely the unplugging of the matrix thing yeah this was a real thing absolutely I think purposely unplugging certain areas like yeah. whether it was like I tell people all the time I purposely stayed away from LinkedIn for a whole year after leaving Dell not because I was like upset or any, I just needed to just have some space because yeah. I knew that if I saw things like you know so and so is making this change or moving to this company or what and I'd want to like get back into that world and into that life and I really just needed some time to yeah. to be yeah. and, and that's okay that's 100%. absolutely okay yeah And it's amazing that you were able to recognize that Mm -hmm. and then carve that space out for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I think when we're moving away from something that we've always known, Mm -hmm. a lot of big emotions can arise. Grief can arise. Guilt can arise. Shame can arise. Mm -hmm. Confusion. All of these big things. So taking that space must have been incredibly nurturing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I had other things to fill the space with. (laughs) Some not calculated very well, but you know, nonetheless, it would think it was just recognizing that by allowing space was going to heal something in some way, shape, form, yeah. or fashion. Yeah. Right. Um, and I still have a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. There's still some. Hey, we're all works in progress. Yeah. yeah. So tell tell us what you're doing now. Yeah. And what you're super excited about. Yeah. So, you know, getting that big sign from the universe Mm -hmm. and very, very big, very clear feedback from the universe. Um, What I actually noticed and how I knew that it was a sign and it was so clear is that I didn't immediately think, oh, I'm going to do this thing that I've been dreaming about doing low key for a long time now. I'm actually just going to go back to security, I'm going to apply for jobs. And every time I would go on LinkedIn and I would look at a job and I would go to press the apply button, it would be like this massive, Mm -hmm. like an invisible donkey kick to the chest. Like, (laughs) do not do that. And so I just thought, oh, I need more time to process. Like, I I need to recover from burnout. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I took a beat. I definitely recovered from burnout. I really prioritized spaciousness and allowing and letting my body and my nervous system drive what looked like recovery from this really intense experience of bouncing out of the the tech sector and when calm was present and when I felt like I'm good Mm -hmm. then I knew that it was time to serve Yeah. yeah 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 I knew that It took me almost a decade to get to the place where I am not afraid of any part of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It took me so long to get there. And when I got to the place where I was not afraid of any part of myself, Mm -hmm. 
Ooh, it was like the training wheels broke off and I could finally ride the bike at full speed. Sure. In your adulthood. In your adulthood. Like flirtatiously close to 40. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And, uh, (laughs) and so I knew that that question I had been grappling with for the better part of five years of like, how can I align my purpose, my calling to serve and my work? How can I align those things that it was time to answer that question and to figure out a way to align what I do for work and what feeds my soul and what feels very much in alignment with like who I am as as a person. And so, um, yeah, I became a life coach. (laughs) I became a life coach. I started studying the art, um, did a lot of education, about a hundred hours of education Mm -hmm. and certifications and all of that jazz and really building out a community and really building out a, a, a practice area Um, I don't know if anybody is a fan of Tony Robbins. I, I, I mess with a little bit of Tony Robbins. I'm not like full on board, but I once saw him talk about the role of coaching or mentorship just in general. And he said like, look, you're going through life and there's something that you had to sweat, bleed and struggle for. You had to fall down a mountain into a ravine and then wake up and climb out the other side to achieve what you've achieved. Is there a way that you can go back and build a bridge so that someone coming behind you can walk that path without falling into a ravine? Mm -hmm. And I thought, if I could help even a single person recognize what feels off in their life, validate it, give it name, give it space... Find a way to build alignment Mm -hmm. toward a vision Mm -hmm. and do that faster. If I could help a single person overcome a limiting belief, Mm -hmm. when you get to a place where you don't fear yourself and you have tools to work through your limiting beliefs, you become what the illustrious rapper CeeLo Green calls unfuckwithable. Yeah. Yeah. Unfuckwithable. So can I help a single person enter their unfuckwithable era? Yeah. Because the world is begging Mm -hmm. for more awake, kind, alive, whole human beings. Yeah, for sure. We need that in so many areas of this planet. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I dove full in. I started a business. I'm a small business owner. Um, I am coaching one-on-one. Um, I'm an embodiment and alignment coach. So I help people identify like, what is the vision for life? What are the things that are coming up inside that are blocking you from that vision? And then how do you build your own personal roadmap and align your actions to the vision that you have so that, you know, when you make this decision, A lot of times I'll have clients be like, well, I don't really know. This guy is great in all of these ways, but like in these ways, maybe I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go back to the alignment map. Yeah. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Does this list of qualities, characteristics, how you feel with that person, does that align with where you see yourself Mm -hmm. in 15 years, in 10 years, in five years? Same with career. Mm -hmm. What's coming up for you? How does your nervous system feel when you're in this job versus another job when you're with that manager? Sure. So really identifying like what is the vision, allowing clients the space to dream because sometimes they haven't had a non-judgmental reflective partner sure. to even dream with. Absolutely. So creating that space and then helping folks map their own journey to get there through aligned action I am coming out of digital. I'm coming out of tech. So I'm going to say this and you're probably going to laugh, but I think that life is just one Gantt chart away from your dreams. Oh, hey. (laughs) You know, it's it's so funny. Like, I think in the last few months, I've been looking at things through the lens of like process and business. And I answered some like questions for an interview yesterday and I sent a response to the person and I was like, you will hear my operational brain come out in all of these responses. Oh, yeah. But that's just how my brain operates, right? And and to that, I think it's the structure, it's the process thinking, it's the 
problem solving. It's the figuring out like tough ways of doing stuff, but in a more streamlined, like efficient way, not like radical efficiency. Like there's only so much efficiency you can get in the world, but that's how women think and operate. I mean, we have to navigate and figure out really tough and complex lives and schedules all the time and just our normal being, right? Sure. We can do really tough things like run a small business, grow it into something medium business or large, or decide to make a monumental pivot in our lives, pursue well, whatever it is. Yeah. The cool thing that I like about women in this space, what you've done, others that I've brought into this conversation, others that I just get to meet, is this innate sense of wanting to create those hammocks, create those bridges to help whoever it is, the next generation, other women around us do it in a way that's just simpler, clearer, yeah, less scary, yeah, um, relatable, whatever you want to call it, right? 100%. Um, and so, you know, from a women's wealth effect standpoint, for me, it was you know, still the four pillars, career, because that's how I came up with building my wealth. I worked at the career. I increased my income similar to what you did. And anyone telling you that like you can build monumental wealth without, you know, increasing your income in some shape, form or fashion, whether it's in entrepreneurship or through your career is not telling you (laughs) the real deal. Sure. Um, Yes. Time is great. I got that, but you still have to have the income, the disposable income to be able to invest. Um, I think back to the wealth element, just understanding the optics of how to build wealth I think of the health element, like exploring yourself, being more in tune with yourself, getting even like the physical health things that you need to work through, like just to make your life whole. Um, And the community piece is like the really, really cool part on the back end, right? It's just building communities in your own local way. But what's really cool about this is it's also global over time, right? Um, 100%. Because we are everywhere. Like there's so many people on this call in DC. I know in Texas, right? here. Um, I've had people from Singapore on these calls. And so I really encourage us as women to find spaces like this, to come and just listen, have conversation. I would love to hear some of y'all's thoughts on the phone, right? Even if you want to come off of mute or ask a question in the chat, but I've really felt like it's so important to just hold some space for us to come together, share a story, share our journey And allow each of us to think about like, well, what do I see in myself and them? What do I see in myself that they're doing that I've wanted to do? And I just need this little nudge to do it, right? Um, Most of what we had been fed for all sorts of reasons, right? Just didn't look and relate to what we experience, right? Yeah. And there's so much more now out there on the interwebs, in your community, whatever. um, Bold people that are willing to share their stories and their experiences. Um, so if people want to work with you, follow you, where are we finding you these days? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Flow Foundations. It's Flow with no W. So F-L-O Foundations. You can also hit up my website. It's Flow Foundations, F-L-O Foundations.com. There are even some fun freebies there uh, for you to download uh, if you're interested. So Um, Come join. You can always reach me there. My DMs are always open. It's a super safe and welcoming uh, community. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, um, you know, if you are thinking about investing in yourself, whether it's, you know, you've been thinking about therapy or you're not ready for like necessarily putting the therapy hat on, you want coaching, you know, things like what Santana is offering, I think are just really great opportunities to see what's on the other side for you, get the outside in perspective, et cetera. Um, One of the things that Santana and I've been talking about um, is, you know, through the women's wealth investing effect program, which you all will get an email from me after this discussion. And you can see, you know, what I also have to offer and what will come down the pipeline, but you coming and actually doing like a mindset session for those that are part of the program. Right. So um, be looking for that. I think you'd be able to get an opportunity to, work with Santana a little bit specifically in the space of money, but obviously what you do spans all sorts of things in people's lives. So I'm really excited that you're doing this work. 
Thank you. I'm super excited to collaborate on this. Yeah. Mindset and the limiting beliefs that we carry with us. I mean, they come from a place where our bodies are trying to protect us from something. For sure. And that's when we get into that space of self-sabotage, when we're we're still showing up with this old thinking and it's blocking us from asking for that promotion or, you know, making that next career step to maximize income potential or, 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 yes, in my work, I'm working with um, clients that are, I tend to work with clients on a holistic level. Mm-hmm. Money is part of life. Mm-hmm. Work is part of life. Relationships are part of life. So mm-hmm. it's really the sort of 360 whole person perspective because, you know, our mindsets and beliefs will really touch all of those areas. And sure. so, yeah, but it's absolutely applicable to like some specific areas like finances because who yeah. changing my mindset around money? Absolutely. It was like a little wedge holding back a dam and you just pull it out and the, yeah. Yeah. So hundred percent super yeah. looking forward to collaborating with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crush Your Money Goals Season 6, The Women's Wealth Effect. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. Your feedback helps us spread the wealth of knowledge to more women like you. If you'd like to work with me to help you create clarity, control, and confidence with your financial independence journey, you can snag my free early retirement planner at womenswealtheffect.com forward slash planner. And if you'd like to work with me to kickstart your financial freedom plan, you can grab my free guide on the 10 money tools you need right now at crushyourmoneygoals.com slash free guide. Stay tuned for the next episode.